0: Uh, Good morning church. It's great to be with you today. Glad you're here. I'm thankful for those who are joining us over live stream. It's already been a a wonderful day. Uh, I thank God for all he's done this week. The response from last Sunday and how God set some people free was just so much to thank God for. So, if you weren't here last week, I do encourage you to jump on our website or jump on our podcast and just listen to the message. It was a message about forgiveness and how that sermon has become, how you have lived out some of this week and have encountered God. I'm just so grateful. Yesterday, we had a, um, it was an honor to be able to host an event here in our church in honor of. Uh, Botham Jean, and uh, it was a gathering of churches throughout Memphis in the Mid-South. There were white churches, black churches, law enforcement, and we came together just to cry out to God for unity and for peace and for justice, and it was just a beautiful day. So, so proud of people in this church and for this church for hosting that and I'm thrilled today to be able to open up the gospel of Mark for you again today we're in a study as we're walking through the gospel of Mark it's called refocus as we are allowing God and asking God to shift and to change the way we see God's heart and the way we see the world and I have a challenge in front of me today because I I, I want to teach you every week when I stand up here I want to teach you about the word of God but I also want to give you like something to hold on to and a way to apply it and practice it. My my challenge today is that I need to try to convince you of something you may not know you need. And my challenge is once I convince you and if I convince you that this is something that you need, will you actually go and implement something that can have an impact on your maturity and development of God? So let's start with this. In Mark chapter 3 verse 6, here's what we have. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, how's that for an intro into this sermon? I'm giving you a challenge you may not accept. And now let's start off with a verse about a plot to take out Jesus. This is early on in the gospel. I mean, this is Mark chapter 3, and they're already plotting about how they can can, can kill Jesus. And this is the Pharisees who were the righteous people of God, who loved the Word of God. And they are going to plot with the Herodians who were their enemies, this is like the church and state coming together to take out Jesus. So I heard someone once tell me, they said, your first two years in preaching, you can't do anything wrong, and then your next two years, you can't do anything right. And apparently for Jesus, he, it sounds like he's just a few months into his public ministry, and he, it's not just that people don't like him. They want to kill him. They see him as a threat, and if you can't change the threat, then you got to kill the threat. But there are some other stories that are leading up to this. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, all the way up to chapter 3, verse 6, there are five controversy stories. There are five stories. We're all five of them. There are opponents. There are people who are upset with Jesus in his ministry. And let me walk you through these real quick. So if you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, and I preached this this past week, there were the opponents and they were upset with Jesus because uh, he had an opportunity to heal someone. And instead of healing them on the spot, the first thing he did is he forgave their sins. So there are opponents who are questioning that Jesus is claiming to have authority not just to heal diseases, but also to forgive sins. People were upset about that. The second controversy story right after that in chapter 2, verse 13, is Jesus calls Levi, he calls a tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And as he calls him, he doesn't just invite him into a relationship. The next thing you know is Jesus is now hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. So there are people who were upset with this. That Jesus was beginning to have a reputation of hanging out with the unrighteous. For Jesus, this was part of his call, you know. He's not just going to invite people to him. He's going to go to where people are and as he goes to where they are, change their lives and invite them into a relationship. And then the very next story is you have some opponents who are upset because apparently Jesus' disciples are not fasting when all the other Jews are fasting. So they ask Jesus about it. They don't ask the disciples. They ask Jesus, like, why are they not fasting when everyone else should be fasting? So there are some traditions that are being held and observed by other religious people, and apparently Jesus' disciples aren't doing that. Those are three controversy stories where there are opponents who are upset with Jesus, and then we come to number four. I want to focus on number four and number five today. And this one begins in verse 23 of chapter 2 with two words. One Sabbath. You don't have to be a Christian very long to know whenever you see Sabbath show up in the Gospels, something's about to happen. Because Jesus and Sabbath don't go well together. They're usually opponents, they're usually people who are frustrated. But but here's one of my challenges, is I need to try to help you see that sometimes when we think Sabbath, we think, well, it's a Sunday, or we think Sabbath and we think that's the day you go to church, or Sabbath is the day you observe some religious festivities or activities or something like that, Sabbath was so much more for Jews. It was more than just going to church. Sabbath was a day that oriented you in God. Sabbath was so vital to the health of the community. It was so vital to someone's own, own health. Sabbath was the day that kept you connected to God and all the things about God. And this goes back to the very beginning in creation. God, he creates. For six days, he creates. And what you have in the creation story is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from the work of creating that he had done. In three verses, you have seventh day show up three different times to let you know that something really important happened on the seventh day, that God created for six days and then God rested. And I've taught this before and I've I've shared with you before, like, I, I mean, is there anything in creation that made you think God worked so hard, God was in need of some rest? Like, it doesn't sound like God has blisters on his hands or that he has a sore back or that he... He's in need of some Gatorade to quench a thirst. In creation, God spoke, things happen. And then God takes the seventh day to rest. And I think what God is doing is He's setting in motion. He's setting in motion a rhythm that we're supposed to live by. That God created humanity and God has said, Okay, for humanity, you have six days where you work your tail off and then God expects people to rest and to rest well. Because God did. And then you come to the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, you have, number one, I'm the Lord your God. You have not worshiping idols. You revere and you honor the name of God. And then there's remember the Sabbath. And then after the Sabbath comes a few commands about human relationships. Like you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't covet, you don't bear false witness. So the first three of the Ten Commandments... Or about how you honor God. It's about this vertical relationship and the last six are about human relationships. And it's the Sabbath that holds them all together. And I think if you looked at the Ten Commandments up there right now, I think there are nine of them that you would look at and say, those are still, like, we still need to do that today. To honor the name of God. No other idols. You honor His name. Nothing else comes in the place of God. That, that we don't murder. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. But when it comes to the Sabbath, a lot of times we'll say, well, that, that's what they did in the Old Testament. So one of my challenges is, I'm not going to even try to convince you today that you need to develop in your life a rhythm where you have 24 hours every single week where you, you unplug from a lot of life and you learn to rest well. I do want to try to convince you to implement in your life some Sabbath principles that will be refreshing for your soul. Because I think if I were to ask you today, how many of you, when's the last time you felt refreshed? Like your soul felt refreshed. Some of you may say, it's been a really long time. And I know some of the challenges is we've developed a world of productivity. And for some of us, the thought of sitting on a couch or having a day where we do nothing makes us feel like we're not producing and we're lazy. And and let's be honest too, like how can we talk about Sabbath rest when there's so much in the world that needs to be done, like good stuff, so many things. Places to serve and, and, and needs that are out there that need to be met, and injustices that need somebody speaking to speak into them. There's so much to do. Why, why could we rest? When the Old Testament teaches us that the reason you rest is to have everything in perspective. The Sabbath was put in a place to remind you that you're not God and that God is God, and that if you take your hands off of life a little bit, God's going to keep the world going. And the beauty of Sabbath is it's not just good for people. It's good for everybody. It's good for all of creation. That that Sabbath commands were that your animals don't do stuff. The land needs rest. All your stuff needs rest. I read some, uh, a few years ago, I I came across, it It was either something I was reading or a podcast, and they said the equipment at Chick-fil-A that they used to cook stuff with will last three and a half years longer than if that same equipment was in another restaurant that was open seven days a week because they take one day a week and they don't open anything up. And now now you're going to be craving some nuggets today for lunch and you're going to be mad at me because you can't go get them, right? There's something powerful about just observing, observing some of the Sabbath. Now, here's something else about the Sabbath is that uh, there's the Sabbath commands throughout the Bible, especially for people in power, masters, that this isn't just something you observe, but you make sure you don't put commands on other people who are under you. That they need rest too. Which is a command, I think it's an encouraging word for any of us who have people who work for us. And sometimes it's easy whenever, hey, you're on vacation. But while you're on vacation, I need need you to make sure you do a few of these things. Andy Crouch is a a well-known author. He's written a lot of stuff on spirituality and Christianity. And um, Andy Crouch, about two decades ago, God began teaching him about the need for some Sabbath in his own life. So he began developing some Sabbath principles of trying to take a day a week where he would intentionally rest so his soul could be refreshed. And in 2003, he had just purchased a new home. He and his family were moving into this new house. And and the day they showed up to sign the purchase and sell agreement, they looked throughout the house and inspected And they saw there were a lot of things in this house that were not done, that were supposed to be done. And And the moving trucks were just a few hours behind them. Have any of you ever been in this situation before? You're trying to move into a house, but the contractors have not completed what they were supposed to do. So he sat down and they signed a writer in the purchase agreement and and they sat there with the contractor coming up with deadlines and dollar amounts. and, and, And in that contract was that you have to work every single day until this task is completed, even on Sundays. And Ken, the contractor, agreed to it. He's like, man, we want to get this job done, so sounds great. So they signed it, and then Andy Crouch went home, and he started thinking about their, the next week of their lives and what they were going to do, and, and it came to him thinking about how his family was going to observe Sabbath. And then he started thinking about the commands for those who have power and who are masters, who would command things. So he, he began feeling convicted in his heart, so he called up the contractor, Ken, and said, hey, we got a problem. I cannot ask you to work this Sunday. So instead, we've changed the purchase agreement to where you cannot work Sundays. And then he said Ken was frustrated because at first Ken was upset that he had to work weekends and now he was frustrated that he was commanded that he could not work on Sundays. So he had to rest. Sabbath is supposed to be good for all people. But this is hard, right? Like having intentional rest is hard. I'm not very good at this is the anytime I speak about Sabbath I I I try to see wherever my wife is sitting and I never look in that area all right because usually she she's looking with this like nodding her head in the wrong direction it's the only time I go home after a sermon and say baby what you what you think and she's like you are such a hypocrite like you don't you don't practice any of this stuff you're talking and a few years ago, I mean, it was, it was bad. Even on my day off, I would sit there and I was constantly opening the computer, checking text messages, looking at emails, thinking through sermon prep, thinking about my week, doing pastoral stuff. And, and, and it, was, it was just bad. Our kids were young. And I remember there was one day, it was, it was my day off. I'm at home. Our kids were young at the time, probably one in three. They were down for a nap and I could not find my cell phone anywhere. And I was like, baby, have you," I started hyperventilating, you know? I mean, this is what happens when we can't find our phones. I was like, baby, what? where is it? Do you know where it is? Do you know where my phone is? She said, yeah, I do know where it is. I was like, well, where is it? Tell me. She said, it's in my back pocket. And I was thinking that here's my wife and the kids are down and she's flirting with me and she wants me to come and... Give her a hug and get the phone. And, and, and so I start walking over there and I get about halfway and, and, and I saw her face where I think a hand was on her hip and she had another hand that was up. Like, and I was like, man, apparently we are not thinking about the same thing right now. <laughs> and, and she's like, you know what, today I think this phone's going to stay in my back pocket for a little while. Because it's become way too big of a part of who you are. So, so here's two Sabbath stories. It begins in Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. Listen to this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now, in the Greek, we aren't really sure what this is. It's, they're picking some kind of food. It may have been wheat. It may have been corn. It may have been hush puppies. We don't know, all right? They're hungry. They're picking. They're eating. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, if you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So Jesus is using the Bible to defend them. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Look, here's the deal with the Pharisees and the laws." There were 613 of these laws. But for the Pharisees and teachers of the law and for a lot of Jews, there's 613 commands. But then they had to come up with a bunch of little commands to go alongside the other commands. So what it was called is that they would build a fence around the Torah. They would build a fence around the law because it's one thing to say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Like, don't work on the Sabbath, but then what happens is people sit around, and they're like, well, what, is that, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what's really work? Is it work for me to pick up some limbs? Is it work for me to start a fire? What's work? So they came up with 37 other commands that went along with the Sabbath of things you can't do and things you cannot do. They were OCD when it came to the Sabbath. And the Pharisees would engage the Sabbath, like looking around to see who was obeying it and who was breaking laws on it. So here are these disciples who were walking around, and that doesn't seem like it's much work, right? They're reaching over, grabbing some grain, and they're eating it. It doesn't seem like it's much work, but they were breaking the Sabbath. The the Bible says, this wasn't just one of those little commands that the Bible says you you can't make food, you can't You can't reap on the Sabbath. They're they're breaking the law. And Jesus defends them. He defends them using the Bible. But if you notice in the story, Jesus also defends the Sabbath. Where he says, what I need you to know is that God didn't create you to fit a day. God created a day to fit you. And then Jesus claims... The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I'm the Lord of rest. How many of you could, could use the Lord of rest today? Right? Sometimes when we think about the names of God, we think about the God Almighty, the all in all, the one who is over all, the, one, the, salve, the, the Savior of all. And then you are sometimes given these names of the Lord of rest. Jesus to say I mean, This is for all of you. John Ortberg, Ortberg, who writes on spiritual disciplines and spiritual maturity. He was writing once and he was good friends with Dallas Willard, who's written some of the best books on spiritual disciplines out there. And he called up Dallas Willard one day and he said, Dallas, hey man, I need, I need you to challenge me in my walk with God. Give me a, give me a few things to do. So Ortberg had his pen out and he was ready to start writing these ideas. And Dallas Willard said, here's one thing. Here's the only thing I need you to write down. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg wrote that and he was ready for number two. And, and Dallas Willard said, that's it. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I think I would encourage you today. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and you need to ruthlessly take serious the distractions in your life. Because I've said it multiple times. We are some of the most distracted people who have ever walked the face of this planet. We're some of the most exhausted people who have, who have ever walked the face of this planet. And how is God going to speak a clear word into a distracted, exhausted heart? If we don't know how to stay still just for a little bit. One of the greatest challenges to, to staying still is... It is our devices. I've been reading a book rec- uh, over the last few weeks. Um, it's a neuroscientist who wrote on the brain, and I read that kind of stuff because I'm cool, all right? Uh, and, and, and it's how the brain works. And, and some of the research has shown that there's chemical dopamine that, that triggers in our brains whenever we come across the new devices, when the new, uh, when the new uh, Apple phone comes out, when new video games are released, or even when... A text message dings or there's a phone call. There's these It's chemical dopamine. It's a reward system in the brain. And it's the same kind of thing that triggers in our brains when alcoholics have a drink or when drug addicts have a hit or when people engage in physical intimacy or you experience a roller coaster. It's this dopamine that is triggering. It's this reward system. So the University of Maryland did research a few years ago and what they did is they took 200 college students and they asked them to go 24 hours without any kind of media, without any kind of technology, 24 hours of no cell phone and no tablets. And the research or the results, it was so, uh, the news media all around the nation began to pick up on this story so they decided to go bigger. So they got people all over the world to engage in research. And what they asked them was they wanted them to go 24 hours with no cell phones, no devices, no electronics, no TV. 24 hours without any of that anti-journal about your experience. How many of you would rather die than have to go through that? Do I got a few of you? And then they were asked to journal about their experiences, and it was, it was crazy. There were people who, uh, as they experienced these 24 hours, I'm beginning to go crazy. I felt paralyzed. I felt dead. From the United Kingdom, someone said, emptiness, emptiness overwhelms me. Unplugging felt like turning off a life support system. From China, I sat in my bed and stared blankly. I had nothing to do. The feeling of nothing passed into my heart. I felt like I had lost something important. From Uganda, I felt like there was a problem with me. I counted down minute by minute and made sure I did not exceed even a single second more. I felt lonely. From Mexico, the anxiety continued for the rest of the day. Various scenarios came to my head, from kidnapping to (laughs) to extraterrestrial invasions. From the U.S., I went into panic, absolute panic mode. It felt as though I was being tortured. Someone else, I sat there, and all I thought about, I want Facebook, I want Twitter, I want YouTube, I want TV. And someone wrote this, I am addicted. I know it. I am not ashamed. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder what our responses would be. There's a syndrome now that Researchers call phantom vibration syndrome, and their research has showed 66% of cell phone users suffer from it. It's when you think your phone is vibrated, yet it really wasn't. Now, let's be honest, man. Some of you haven't even made it through this worship service without pulling out your phone to check email and Facebook and IG. Some of you can't go through meetings at work Without checking your phone multiple times because when it dings, there's chemical dopamine in your brain that is making you think, I am important. Somebody needs me. And you check email and then you're frustrated because it was just some Amazon promotion, right? (laughs) And here's what happens. What happens when we're so easily distracted and we don't know how to stay still and we don't know how to unplug and we don't know how to say no to some things so we can actually rest with God, what suffers? And what suffers is relationships suffer, work ethic suffers, marriages suffer, and our relationship with God suffers. Because most of us have not developed prayer lives where we're in a room without these. Or even when we sit alone with God for a few moments, the moment something dings, it's like this reward system that goes off. can we stay still? And I feel like I need to push you today to try to think about the Sabbath more than just the day we go to church, but to think about in your own life. Do you have any rhythms that allow you to rest? And and there are times when you need a day off and you need some rest where you can just sit on a couch and watch the the Ryder Cup or football or, or Hallmark movies or Netflix benches. But I don't want you to confuse that with refreshing your soul. And what Sabbath does is at some point Sabbath is supposed to allow you to connect with God and connect with the things most important to God in a meaningful way. And when I talk to people who observe Sabbath, Orthodox Jews and Messianic Jews and some Christians, Sabbath is not something they Like they don't, when they think about the Sabbath coming up and the times when they can rest, they're excited about it. And it's become a rhythm in their life that they do not look at it with, oh, I don't want it to get here. It is, I need that to get here because it is what orients me in God. And the Pharisees were frustrated with Jesus because they didn't think Jesus was taking the day seriously and Jesus was frustrated with them because they forgot why they were supposed to take the day seriously. And for Jesus, it's that you don't just go through the motions. You don't just even come to church and go through the five or six acts of worship if we count announcements as one, all right? It's, the, it's not that. It's that he knew that Pharisees could go through a whole Sabbath day and come to the end of it and think they succeeded because they didn't break any laws, yet their hearts had not connected to God. And do we have any rest in our lives that allows us just to sit with God even for a few moments? to remind ourselves, God is the God of the universe. I am not. God keeps things going. So the very next story, the fifth controversy story is this. In chapter 3, 1 through 5, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. It's almost sad to me that at this point in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, there are people who are like looking over the... His shoulder, waiting to try to catch him in something. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill it? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them, and in anger he he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. One thing I love about this story... Jesus broke the system. He beat the system. Because here's a guy who is sick, and they're waiting for him to break the Sabbath and to heal the man. And what Jesus said is, stretch out your hand. And this movement right here was not a movement that broke the Sabbath. Stretch out your hand. Just hold out your hand. And when he did, he was healed. And what Jesus wanted them to know, He said, when it comes to the Sabbath, this isn't just about making sure you do things right and you don't break some of the other laws. The Sabbath is about trusting in a God who is constantly giving life. And if any form of Sabbath and rest is not giving life to us and life to others, it's not the kind of Sabbath rest God desires for us or for the church. So let me give you a few questions to take home. Here are four of them. I'm, just, I'm going to give them to you quickly. Number one, when's the last time you have felt refreshed in your life? I'm talking about refreshment for your soul. And what changes do you need to make in your life? Or how can you cry out to God today to experience refreshment? Number two is this. Is your current pace in life sustainable? That you may think you're young enough or you have enough energy right now To do all it is you want to do and to keep saying yes to things and to not say no to things. And continue the work ethic that you have, which God wants us to have a great work ethic. But is it sustainable? What often happens and what's sad is that you develop a pace in life and a rhythm in life that you think you can sustain. And it takes you or something in your life breaking to help you realize that pace is not sustainable. Number three, is the pace you currently have in life sustainable for the people closest to you? If you continue with the pace of life you have right now, how are the relationships around you going to be most affected? How's it going to impact your marriage? How's it going to impact your kids? How's it going to impact other people around you? Is it sustainable for other people around you? How many times have you heard people who've developed a work ethic and they look back and they're like, man, I wish I would have spent more time with the family. I wish I would have spent more time with friends. Number four is this. And this is directly related to Mark 3. What is it in your life that Jesus may be saying, will you stretch that out to me? For this man it was a withered hand. For you it may be a withered heart. It may be an emotion you're afraid to let go of. It may be a sin that you've been holding on to. What is it that you need to reach out and give to God? I want to ask the leaders and prayer leaders, if you will, to go ahead and go throughout the room where you receive people. And if you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord or been baptized into Christ, we invite you to come and meet with one of these people going around the room. We would love to talk and study and pray with you. And If there's something else you want to bring in front of this church, we have a time for you. But let me end end with this. There was a Harvard researcher who was doing research on moral development. And this person went on to talk and do research and, and release research on the six stages of moral development. And this, was, this person was not writing as a, as a Christian. But here are six levels of moral development he gave. And moral development is like, why do you do what is right? The lowest level of moral development is that you do what is right because you fear punishment. Right? How many of our kids, like at small ages, like you do what is right because you fear punishment? Some people, when it comes to God, have never graduated from this that you do right because you fear that you'll be punished by God. The highest level of moral development is you, you do what is right because it is good. And as we think today about death, burial, and resurrection, we do what is right, we work like God wants us to work. We rest in a way that is right because it is good and ultimately because God is good. If there's any need in your life, please find one of these people around us. Let's stand together and let's sing a song.